If you have your Bible, turn to Romans chapter 4. Um, if you don't, we have hardback Bibles out there, and you are more than welcome, even actually encouraged, uh, to hop up and go grab one if you need one. Um, if you're using one of those, you'll find Romans 4 on page 941. Uh, you, won't, you don't want to close your Bible when we're finished either, because um, you're going to have to do a little bit of turning as well. Uh, Romans chapter 4, the first 12 verses. It's it's our practice here at Grace Covenant to stand when we read God's Word. Uh, So let me ask that you join us in standing now. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven. And whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well. And to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised but who also walk in the footsteps of of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Let's pray. Uh, We pray, O Holy Spirit, that you would be at work in us now. Help us to know and to understand your word, to live by it, and to to be conformed more and more into the the image of Christ. For it's in His name that we ask all of this. Amen. You may be seated. Let me um, sort of catch you up on uh, where we are. We're in the middle of this sermon series on uh, the five solas of the Reformation, the five onlys of the Reformation, the, the, the battle cries, if you will, the bumper stickers. I've used any number of, of illustrations along the way. Normally, when I speak of the solas, I tend to say we're saved by grace, through faith, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to Scripture alone, for God's glory alone. We that's not the order we're going in this sermon series. We move Scripture to the front end of uh, the series itself because it is 
our only rule of faith and practice. And so from it, we know and understand uh, these other truths. Last week, we were in Romans 3 and uh, saw that, uh, although we could have gone any number of other places, quite honestly, um, that salvation is not based on us, uh, but it's based on God's grace. We even sort of pointed out, you're familiar with the the acronym, God's Riches at Christ's Expense. From from Romans 3, you could really change it to God's Righteousness at Christ's Expense. This morning I want to look um, at our third only, our third sola, um, faith alone, sola fide. We're saved by faith alone. Paul in Romans 4 is um, using Abraham and David as an illustration. Abraham is the, the father of the Jews. Okay, that's, that's genealogically true. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and it's from Jacob that the 12 tribes of Israel come. He's the, the ancestor of, of the Jewish people. But they saw him also as their father, not just genealogically, but in salvation as well. See, he was circumcised. It was, it was to Abraham that the, the sign of circumcision was given, and he was circumcised, and he, was, he obeyed God, and he followed God, and, and we are saved in the same way that Abraham was through the keeping of the law. And so it's in that context that Paul is taking the Jewish mindset, this core central understanding of the Jews, and turning it back on them to say, well, let me show you where your mistake is. And first he shows us that faith is only an instrument. His his larger point here in Romans 4 is that, that we, like Abraham, are saved by faith alone. And that word, that, that English word, it's such a small preposition, by. It means so many different things. We're used to it. Our, we don't even notice it. I mean, it means so many different things that you and I don't even pay attention to it. Context tells us. It can mean, for example, no later than. You do this when you give your kids a curfew. Be home by 12. Be home by 9.15. That would be a more reasonable hour. We, we set this sort of be home by. We mean no later than. So, so this preposition by means no later than. But it also can mean the one who accomplished something. Georgia was beaten by Auburn. It's more fun to say Clemson was beaten by Syracuse, who was beaten by LSU, who was beaten by Troy. The team that accomplished you know, the, this victory or that won this, the, the team that accomplished something, it's, it's, the word by can mean, can refer to the accomplisher of a thing. But it can also refer to the means by which the accomplisher accomplished. How's that for confusing for you? See, Syracuse 
Clemson got beat by Syracuse. Syracuse beat Clemson by playing better defense and running these weird, short, misdirection passes. So we, because for most of us, English is our first language, we understand what those words mean in those contexts. We get it. We don't even notice it. If you've been a Christian for any length of time, you you recognize that when you say we're saved by grace, or we're saved by faith, or we're saved by Christ, you realize you don't always mean the exact same thing. Nobody in here believes that grace or faith were hanging on a cross 2,000 years ago to satisfy the demands of the law in our place. Nobody, nobody thinks that. When we say we're saved by grace, nobody thinks that grace was the one hanging on the cross. But that's exactly what we mean when we say we're saved by Christ. We mean He was the one who accomplished our salvation through His obedience, His sinless life, and His atoning death on the cross. The question is, How do we grab hold of that righteousness that Christ accomplished for us on the cross? How do I reach out and take that? What is the the hand that grabs, that takes hold of His righteousness? That's what we mean when we say we're saved by faith. That faith is an instrument. It's a a tool. It's the hand that, that takes hold of the righteousness of God in Christ. It's the hand that takes hold of our salvation. You see that in verse 3. In verse 3, Paul uh, actually quotes Genesis 15, 6. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. It's because of Abraham's faith that, that, that the righteousness of God was credited counted, the fancy church word, imputed to his account. Abraham took hold of this righteousness of Christ through faith, by faith. It's by faith that Abraham was saved. It's by faith that we are saved by believing in the promises of God. In other words, Faith is only an instrument. Faith is not the the thing that accomplished your salvation. It's, it's It's an instrument through which we take hold of salvation. But as an instrument, faith has to have an object. Faith has to have, it has to be in something. I noticed recently, and maybe it was yesterday, because I didn't watch tons of football yesterday, but maybe it was yesterday. A couple of coaches in, in halftime interviews or post-game interviews, they would say things like, we kept the faith. You just got to keep the faith. The way Clemson did it back when we were in school, big flashing scoreboard, you got to believe, you got to believe, you got to believe. Believe what? I mean, I, I know what they meant. They meant that we can win, but quite honestly what they really mean is you got to hope. Because that's not really the same thing as believing. 
You got to wish. You got to hope. Faith has to be in something. You have to to believe in something. Look at verse 3. Abraham believed God. His faith looks outside of himself to God himself. Or for that matter, look in verse 5. To the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly. Faith needs an object. Faith has to be in Christ in order to accomplish our salvation. It's not faith in general that saves you. It's not some random thing out there in the universe that is called faith that somehow that thing saves you. It's not faith in whatever as long as you hold it really strongly that saves you. In fact, what we find in Scripture is the object of our faith is actually far more important than the strength of our faith. The one in whom our faith is trust, our trust, faith is placed is far more important than the strength of that faith. Faith is only an instrument. But notice that faith is the only instrument. Maybe you're thinking to yourself, well, Okay, I have faith, but I mean, that may be one way to Christ, but maybe there's another way. Maybe there's something else. I have a, a group of, of um, a handful of PCA pastors I meet with a couple of times a month over at Bridge Street. They would say they meet regularly, and sometimes I'm there. Um, that's really kind of how it works out. Um, one time I was complaining about the fact that it literally took me an hour to get to Bridge Street. And um, the question was, well, how did you get here? What way did you go? You know, there's a a dozen ways to get to Bridge Street from here. You can get to Bridge Street from Athens a whole number of different ways. And, and, And I'm talking about normal ways. I'm not even talking about like the ridiculous ones. Okay, technically you could go down 31 all the way to Decatur and then up 560. That's that's just ridiculous. I'm I'm talking about normal, real ways of getting to Bridge Street from here. There are any number of ways to do that. Maybe salvation is like that. Maybe it's like Bridge Street. I can get there. I I can take Capshaw Road and stay north of 72 the whole way. Or I can take 72... Or I could even drop down to whatever that road is below, just south of 72. Or I can go all the way down to 65 and 565 and do it that way. I can get to God some other way. Maybe I can get there. Maybe there's some other means by which I can take hold of this righteousness found in Christ. Look what Paul writes in verse 4. To the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. If you work, what you get is the payment you deserve for your work, for your obedience. Verse 5, to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Righteousness comes not from works. In fact, you see it even clearer in verses 9 through 11. 
Is this blessing then for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? Well, Abraham got this blessing before he was circumcised so that he could be the father of all those who believe regardless of whether they're circumcised or not. And you read verses 9 through 11 and go, I'm, I'm confused, I don't really understand. His whole point is to say, Abraham's the father of all who believe and trust in Christ. That Abraham was not saved by his obedience. He was not saved even through circumcision. This, this obedient act played out in his life. Let me show you this real quick. This timeline matters. Turn to Genesis 15. We're not going to spend a whole lot of time here this morning. One of these days we'll come back and finish our series in Genesis. But just so you can see this timeline. This timeline matters to Paul in Romans 4. And so it should, we need to make sure we understand it. In Genesis 15, verse 1, After these things the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. Abram said, um, God, what will you give me? I'm childless. The heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir, your very own son shall be your heir. And there in Genesis 15, God promises God descendants. And he enters into a covenant with Abraham that he will accomplish this, that he will see to it. And it's in verse 6 of Genesis 15. Abraham believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. Through faith in God's promises, Abraham receives this righteousness that comes from God. Look at the last verse of Genesis 16. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. Ishmael is not the son of the promise of Genesis 15. Abram's 86. Look at the first verse of Genesis 17. When Abram was 99, 13 years later, God gives the sign of circumcision and still no Isaac yet. No son of the promise. In other words, Paul's making clear to us, to the church in Rome, to the Jews of his day, That there's no other means of salvation but through faith in Christ. For the Jew, Abraham represents obedience. He represents law keeping. He represents circumcision and, and through that law keeping. Abraham says, and yet righteousness was counted to him at least 13 years. Maybe more before circumcision was even instituted. In other words, Abram is saved by faith in God and not by works. We read this a few minutes ago in Galatians 2. We know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Christ. In other words, there is no other instrument by which you might take hold of God's of salvation in Christ. 
you will either accomplish your own salvation through your own works, or you have to trust in someone else's. And Paul says there's no, there are no works. There is no one who's saved through obedience. You must therefore look outside of yourself for your salvation. There's no other way of salvation. Faith is only an instrument. Faith is the only instrument. Faith has elements. If faith is the instrument of salvation, and there's nothing else by which we might be saved, what is it? Well, notice, first of all, faith involves knowing God and His will for salvation. Abraham heard God's promises. Paul points us back to this this conversation, if you will, between God and Abraham. And God promises to Abraham, I'm going to give you descendants like stars in the sky, like sand on the sea, the, the shore. And Abraham believed that promise. In other words, faith involves knowledge. Faith involves knowing God's Word. It mean, involves knowing God's promises. But you can quote John 3.16 all you want and not be a Christian. You can memorize entire books of the Bible and not be a Christian. Knowledge alone is insufficient because notice there's a second element of faith. Not only did Abraham know God's word, but he also believed it to be true. It's one thing to know it and then say, well, but that's just a bunch of hogwash. Yeah, I can quote John 3.16, I don't believe any of it. It's a total lie. I don't even think God exists, much less His Son, much less forgiveness, much less, for that matter, the need for it. We can, we can dismiss God's Word as untrue. Abraham recognizes the truth of God's promise. For that matter, the illustration of David in verse 6, 7, and 8, Paul quotes from Psalm 32. David understood forgiveness. He writes this psalm. He's committed adultery with Bathsheba. He tried to cover up his sin by bringing her husband home from war. When that didn't work, he had her husband killed so that he could cover up the sin even more. It's in light of that that he writes this psalm and, and recognizes not just the promise, that there is a promise of forgiveness, but he understands that there's forgiveness in Christ and he knows it to be true. Paul quotes from the Psalms, from David, who knows there's forgiveness. He doesn't just know that God has promised it. He doesn't just know that as a, as a truth, but he also knows, I mean, knows that God has said it, but he also knows it as a truth. Is that enough? Is knowing God's word and believing it to be true, is that enough for salvation? It's been a year. I, I realize it's been a year. You, you don't remember what I said last week. Okay, fair enough. I don't remember what I said last week. But about a year ago, we were in the book of James. And in James 2, verse 19, you believe God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe. 
The demons believe that God is one. Oh wait, there's that word. Maybe the, maybe the demons are Christians. Maybe the demons are saved. They believe. So that, that, it says right there, the demons believe. They, they must be Christians. Oh wait, I didn't finish the verse. Even the demons believe and shudder. They shiver and shake at the thought of that God is who He says He is. They know God's Word and they know it to be true. That is not enough for salvation. The third element is trust. What sets saving faith apart from just awareness of God's Word is knowing it to be true not just as a truth, but knowing it to be true for me. That I can rest in it. That I can trust in it. That I can hope in God's promise of salvation. Abraham endured circumcision at 99, put his whole household through that covenant sign, not just because God told him to, but because he trusted in God's promise to bring about his people. Faith is only an instrument. Faith is the only instrument. Faith has elements. And lastly, and I feel a little obligated to do this, and this is partly in your outline, it's listed as a fourth point. It's partly an extended application. Um, we know that in the church, there has always been this thing called legalism. You know what a legalist is, right? For most of us, a legalist is anyone who loves God's word more than I do. That's how we kind of use that word. We're, we're able to take... Um, we, we live in an age where we can dismiss people. You just you, you do that. You flick your hand, the back of your hand, and you dismiss them by calling them a name. And then you don't have to listen to them. You don't have to listen to anything they say. Well, we do that in the church too. We flick the back of our hand and say, well, they're just being a legalist. And poof, they're just like that. They're dismissed. There are two definitions of legalism. The first is anyone who tries by works of the law to gain God's favor. That's the primary issue that Paul's addressing in Romans 4. He's, he's dealing with a, a Jewish culture who, for the most part, is trying to figure out, how can I save myself? How can I gain God's favor through keeping the law? I've been circumcised. I keep the Sabbath. I keep these feast laws. I don't eat certain foods. I don't eat bacon. And, you know, whatever. There are those who try to gain God's favor through keeping the law. And that's, that's Paul's primary context here. There's a second definition of legalism, acceptable definition. And that would be the making of, of man-made extra-biblical laws and then holding everyone around you to that standard. When Nancy was a senior in high school... Um, she's going to her senior prom. And that, that alone, just the commitment to going to her prom, moved her all the way to the top of her grandmother's prayer list. <laughs> because you know, 
Real Christians, Nancy, don't dance. Man-made, extra-biblical laws that, that we create and then expect everyone to live up to them. That was really the primary issue that Jesus dealt with with the, the Pharisees. They even recognized it. They even admitted it in, in Matthew 15 when they're complaining that Jesus' disciples don't wash their hands before they eat. They actually begin their argument with, why do your disciples break not God's law, but the tradition of the elders. They recognized that, that it was just their own man-made traditions that you must wash your hands before you eat. And it's in that context that Jesus said, well, it's not what goes in, but what comes out that makes you unclean. That was the primary issue of the Reformation. That was the primary issue of, of Luther's day. You read Luther's 95 Theses and he's going, purgatory? I'm not sure I see this in the Bible. And yet the church is teaching it and, and expecting everyone to, to live to these standards. Um, indulgences, actually giving money to the church so that you can spring uh, your loved one from purgatory into heaven when the coin in the coffer clings, a soul from purgatory springs. I don't see that in the Bible. We're creating these, these man-made laws for everyone else to hold up to, to, to live by. And that, that was the primary issue with the Pharisees. That was the primary issue with, in Luther's day, with the church in Luther's day. The doctrine of faith alone stands against legalism. For some, if you were at the Reformation service, you heard um, William trying to do math with letters. He made the point that math was fine for him as long as there were numbers involved. And as soon as you introduced the alphabet into math, he was done. Math was sort of uh, lost at that point. Um, if you were to turn salvation into an equation... The, 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 the Catholic Church of Luther's day, the Pharisees said, faith plus works equals justification. Luther's day, the church said, faith plus works equals justification. I guess the Pharisees were probably works equals justification. They didn't need faith at all. The doctrine of faith alone stands against legalism. But you know, there's a danger and this is, this is the warning. This is the sort of extended application part. There's a danger. When you're backing away from a ditch, sometimes you step into another one because you didn't think to pay attention to what was behind you. You're backing away from someone or something that's dangerous, and if you keep backing up without checking to see what's behind you, you end up in some other kind of danger you didn't know was there. And... It's the, the issue in our world today, the primary issue in, in Reformed churches today is not legalism. Everyone sees that danger and points it out and says, we're, we're fighting against that. But there's a ditch on the other side of the road we call antinomianism. No law at all. There, there is no law. You don't have to worry about obedience. The Bible never says you have to obey. See, I can't obey to save Myself, so I don't have to obey at all. Or for that matter, in some circles, it's, no, my life hasn't changed, but you know, back when I was 
15, I raised my hand, I walked an aisle, I prayed a prayer, I did this thing, I went to some youth event and, and went forward and I got saved. And no, my life hasn't changed at all, but I, I have this get out of hell free card in my wallet. And so that just, we call it easy believism, that, that you can believe and then really it doesn't matter what happens after that because you believed once before. You, you have this get out of hell free card, you can play at any time. Luther struggled with the book of James because it taught works. Luther wrestled with, what do I do with saved by works that James seems to be teaching? Truth is, James says faith without works is dead. Faith Saving faith that doesn't produce good works. Saving faith that doesn't manifest itself in our lives is no saving faith at all. It's not true faith at all. In other words, to go back to math class, faith equals justification plus works. We're saved by faith alone, but saving faith never stays alone. It changes us. God's grace changes us. It conforms us into the image of Christ. Faith, faith alone stands against legalism, but it also stands against antinomianism. No law whatsoever. And that is the greater issue in our world today. Paul speaking in Romans 4 of our justification, of being saved that, that initiation into what you and I might call being saved, salvation. The, the law, our works, offer nothing but the sin that nailed Christ to the cross to our salvation. And yet by His grace, through His grace, in our lives, we who are saved should be conforming more and more into His image. Works don't go away completely. We're not saved by our works, but having been saved, we suddenly find ourselves doing good works for His honor and glory. Why? Because He's made us new people. Not for our own credit. Not for our own glory. If you're here this morning and you've never trusted in Christ for your salvation, this passage, this truth of salvation by faith alone urges you, it, it drives you to the cross because you're left going, I have no works. I have nothing to offer to God. I have nothing that I can give to Him and say, look how great and wonderful I am that you should accept me. So you have to look outside of yourself. You have to look to Christ. You have to look to Him on the cross and there find forgiveness. Maybe as a Christian you're thinking to yourself, I knew it. I knew there was something. I, I knew I had something to offer in my salvation. I knew there was something I could take credit for in my salvation. See, I had faith. 
And that faith is mine. Look what I did. See, Jesus did 99.9% of my salvation. And the 0.1% I offered is, look, I had faith. I'm the one that chose to believe in God. And then we're reminded of Ephesians 2. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this, not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. In other words... If you're here this morning and you're a believer trusting in Christ alone for your salvation, the truth of Romans 4, the truth of salvation by faith alone should drive us to greater gratitude, deeper, more sincere worship. Because as we look outside of ourselves for our salvation, we must worship someone who's outside of ourselves. It changes our thoughts, our minds, our attitudes. Gives us higher and greater praise for the grace of God in Christ. Oh, that our hope might be in Him alone. That we were saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You for the promise of the Gospel that Your Word has been proclaimed to us in Your Word, that You've promised salvation, deliverance through Christ, and that Your Word is true. And we pray that You would grant us the grace to trust it for ourselves. Not just recognize it as Your Word, not just recognize it as true, but to say also, it is true for me and it is my hope, it is my trust both in this life and the life that is to come. Through Christ we ask it. Amen.